1: My name is Marcel and I'm partially a shell, as you can see on my body, but I also have shoes and um, a face. So
2: Hi, I'm Rachel
0: Hampton. and I'm Daisy Rosario and you're listening to ICYMI in case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture.
2: And today we are joined by none other than our new supervising producer, Daisy Rosario. I am in love with Daisy. If y'all have stuck around through the credits, which you should because there's literally always like a blooper afterwards, then you've <laughs> probably heard her name. But it's now finally time for the official introduction. Icy my hive, say hello to Daisy. Daisy, say hello to the Icy my hive. Tell us by yourself.
0: <laughs> okay. Hi. Uh, let's see. Well, okay, so what would be relevant to ICYMI? Um, I'm a queer Aquarius who also love Tumblr. Uh, that's yes. probably the most important stuff. Uh, but yeah, I am the new senior supervising producer, which basically means I'm working with you on ICYMI and across a few other slate culture shows. And you'll be hearing me from time to time as we try to replace the irreplaceable Madison Malone Kircher.
2: Ugh, an impossible task. And I'm gonna ask an impossible question, which is yeah. what is your earliest internet memory?
0: Oh man, okay, AOL, 1000% AOL. Like to the point that with AOL, I don't even think I knew that you could access the internet any other way <laughs> at the time. Like, um, So staying up super late at night, IMing with friends, having conversations that bordered on inappropriate in chat rooms, I mean, what mm-hmm. a time it was.
2: Well, speaking of internet memories, I think we just experienced what I would describe as an internet core memory, which is the release of another Beyoncé album yes. last Friday, finally one without Jay-Z on it. I've been waiting <laughs> for this moment. <laughs> if you've somehow missed the Beyoncé release, where have you been? But the album Seriously? is called Renaissance. It is unequivocally a dance album, and I would say all hits, no skips. But what's your favorite track so far?
0: Okay, so it's not the most exciting answer, but it's Break My Soul. I have ADHD, so I'm still fully obsessed with that track. And while I did enjoy the entire album, I did check the whole thing out. I will probably be listening to Break My Soul on loop for a few more days. What's your favorite so far, Rachel?
2: I really love Cuff It, but Mm. I will say that I was not actually a fan of Break My Soul when it first dropped. But hearing it in context of the album, I was like, okay, yes, I get it. I get Mm -hmm. it. Um, my entire timeline was just taken over with album reactions from, I would say, literally midnight EST yes. on Thursday night Same. through till today. Hard say. I still am seeing things. There was discourse. There were gifts. There was gratitude. There was dancing. Yes. There was Will Smith for some <laughs> reason. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You snuck that last one in there. There was Will Smith. There was, because, I mean, if anybody wants to hide something, there's not a better time to do it than the day that Beyonce drops an album, because the internet will be dominated with Beyonce discourse. And honestly, it worked. The way I didn't watch this video until today, even though Will Smith posted on Friday, he posted it to his formerly loved YouTube page, and the video was titled, It's Been a Minute where he basically answers all the burning questions we've had since he slapped Chris Rock in the face at the Oscars. A moment that will live in my mind forever. Why didn't you apologize to Chris in your acceptance
1: speech? Um, I was fogged out by that point. It's, 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 It's all fuzzy. I've reached
2: out. So he soon. apologizes to Chris Rock, Chris, to Chris's um, family, shows remorse or tries to. And this is where Will Smith's acting skills seem to leave him a little bit because I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it.
0: <laughs> the comments on the video, the comments are not always a great place to be, but the comments <laughs> on the video definitely give across kind of like, we see you doing the apology video, bruh. Like, Nice production. But for the most part, not a lot of people necessarily feeling the apology. And the timing of it did feel odd, not just that it created the Beyonce news dump, but just it certainly was not top of mind for me right now. Like It it was top of mind for a little while after it happened, but it it just felt so both random and produced. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like that was this year. The fact that those Oscars were this year.
2: (laughs) Oi. Oy. And in the end, honestly, this video just feels like a distraction from the most important news, which is and always will be Beyonce. Unfortunately, though, we are not a Beyonce podcast, though. So now no. that Madison is gone, we can do anything, I think. I'll talk that's, to the that's... higher ups about it. OK, honestly, Dan check, <laughs> <laughs> run it up. <laughs> Until Dan Check approves the Beyoncé podcast, <laughs> please feel free to drop your favorite tracks in our DMs, and we're going to move on. Later in the show, I will be talking to another internet icon, or the creator of one, at the very least. Yeah. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is an early internet legend turned tiny one-inch movie star, and I will be chatting with the director, Dean Fleischer-Camp, about his journey from three-minute viral short to A24 movie. But first, we have got a round of read receipts.
0: And after the break, we will be answering all of your burning questions about pink sauce, the Little Miss memes, and the dramatic suit Netflix just filed against the Bridgerton
1: musical.
2: And we're back. And Daisy, I forgot the most important question of this entire show. How do you pronounce read receipts? I pronounce it red. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was about to declare read supremacy. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll simply have to wait for that. In the meantime, we have got a very special Read Receipts High Speed Downloads Hybrid, also known as the Crossover of the Century. I know y'all have been waiting for this.
0: I love a crossover episode! I want to see the
2: receipts. In case you missed it, High Speed Downloads is a segment where we each have 60 seconds to summarize some wild trend, story, or piece of internet ephemera. And bringing in the read receipts part of it, today's High Speed Downloads are inspired by questions that we have gotten from y'all. First up, we have gotten perhaps the most asked for topic we've had on the show since Bama Rush Talk, which is coming back soon. Keep your eyes out, (laughs) y'all. And that is the infamous pink sauce.
0: All right. Well, I've only seen it in passing, and I've kind of purposefully left myself ready to receive your download. So, all right. Ready? Three, two, one, go.
2: Okay, last month Miami-based personal chef and TikToker, Chef P went viral with her new condiment pink sauce. It is bright pink, Pepto-Mismol pink, made with honey, chili, garlic, vinegar, oil, and dragon food, $20 a bio. Some people say it tastes mostly like ranch. The chef described it as sweet, tangy, and spicy, though for months she refused to tell us what it tasted like. She first posted about the pink sauce in June, and then she was giving it away as a giveaway, which I guess is fine. But by the end, she started accepting orders for the product. She went from 800 followers to 106K in a month. This quickly went viral, aka out of hand. The bottles had typos. She really loves Angel numbers. There were 444 servings in the bottle. Mm Ma'am, she also just didn't seem to understand basic food safety. She was shipping a product that had milk without any refrigerant and also like the bottles were arriving all like warm and burst. It was really gross. Anyway, so she's a did a 52-minute explanation apology video about her seconds. production areas where she said the FDA didn't need to be involved because the pink sauce quote isn't a medical product. In case you didn't know, F in the FDA stands for food. Somehow this turned into racial discourse where people were saying the internet couldn't wait to down a black woman. Like, I, <laughs> nope.
0: I, I love this final point. So go ahead. You get you get one more to finish this thought.
2: I will just say that like freedom does not mean the freedom to give people botulism. That that's what I'll that's my last sentence. That is not what M O K fought for.
0: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I want a shirt that says that. <laughs> but the FTA, the FDA clip was like the The main one I watched, like I'd seen everybody talking about pink sauce and kind of tweeting about pink sauce. And then the first time I really saw the creator speaking themselves, it was it was that FDA rant. And I was just like, but the F does stand for food.
2: (laughs) Yes. The way she was like, the FDA only approves vaccines and that's it. And it's like, ma'am. No, (laughs) ma'am. No, Mm mm. All right. Well, I'm out of breath, which means that it is now your (laughs) turn to do a high-speed download, your very first one. Are you ready? I am stressed, but I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, so what have you got for us?
0: Okay, so I'm covering the Little Miss memes, which a listener even Mm. sent in a voice memo about. What is the deal with these Little Miss memes? I keep coming across them on my Instagram, and I'm very confused. If you can explain it and help me out, I'd very much appreciate it. Love the show and the work that you do. All
2: right, Daisy, are you prepared to explain the Little Miss memes?
0: Ooh, yeah, I'm going to do the best that I can. Okay.
2: Okay, all right, you've got a minute on the clock. Mm I am finger poised. Three, two... One, go.
0: Okay, so you've probably seen this meme all over the internet with the caption, Little Miss, and then, like, you insert some extremely specific description here. Some of the ones I've seen include Little Miss Identity Crisis, Little Miss Daddy Issues, and Little Miss Possum Therapist. (laughs) If it were mine, it would be Little Miss Can't Eat Gluten, or Little Miss Shaky Hands. It looks really familiar because it's based on a series by children's author Roger Hargraves, who created Mr. Man and the Little Miss series. Original Little Misses were things like Little Miss Bossy, Little Miss Giggles, Little Miss Contrary, a.k.a. also me. And that's honestly it. There's, uh, that's that's it so I seed the rest of my time I don't need to reclaim my time there is no time to be claimed like that's it you're asking because you are confused by how boring this meme is because it is boring it's
2: sometimes boring things catch on I'm sorry for the first time in high-speed download history you have completed the high-speed download before the timer ran out you were creating Ooh. new records on your first day how does it feel <laughs>
0: It feels good. It feels like we came up with a hack. Like in the future when we want to hit the time, just pick something
2: that is so boring <laughs> that
0: we don't actually have a minute's worth of stuff to say about it.
2: And that is so true about the little miss memes. I just there was the hot girls are X Y and Z and then there nope. is we need an American girl doll who and then it quickly made its way to little miss and it's not even a meme anymore. It's just it's just words.
0: No, companies are like emailing me with their version of it, which is always when you know something is dead. So <laughs> that's
2: it. <laughs> you heard it here first. The companies have gotten in on it. Stop doing it. It's it's cringe. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of things that make us cringe, our final read receipt comes from Twitter where Ashley asks us to respond to the news that Netflix is suing Abigail Barlow and Emily Baer, the duo who created the unofficial Bridgerton musical. My response, incoherent screeching, as my roommate can attest.
0: (laughs) I, I also am screeching, but I don't want to offend the listeners' ears, so
2: completely fair we do try to keep our screeching off the mic yeah you can get more detail on the original story of this musical from our april 6 episode but in extreme short the unofficial bridgerton musical is exactly what it sounds like it is a musical based off of the regency era romance netflix series bridgerton importantly for this this section slapping unofficial in front of something does not actually protect you from copyright infringement right <laughs> <laughs> so this musical started on TikTok in January 2021. It went viral. It has a Grammy-winning album, a charity production, and a Kennedy Center concert on July 26th. And the final thing is the straw that broke the camel's back. The camel, in this case, is Netflix. They're mad. They're aggy. They're aggro. <laughs> Before we get into like the barn burner of a complaint that Netflix filed, I'm going to get on a quick nerd soapbox and say... Fan works are not inherently copyright infringement, and we have talked about this in multiple episodes, including that April 6th one on Bridgerton. There are three places where Barlow and Bear fucked up, using dialogue directly from the show, doing the Kennedy Center production, and Oof. assuming that because Netflix chose not to sue them at any point in the past, that Netflix would continue to not sue them. That's not true. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> not being sued in the past is not a sign of no... Being sued in the future.
2: Mm hmm, mm hmm. So let's get into the complaint. Thank you to my roommate who downloaded this for me from Pacer. Um, importantly, this is a complaint filed by Netflix, which does not mean that these are indisputable facts. If this goes to trial, there'll be discovery, and that's where the fact finding happens. That being said, the first line in this complaint that made me gasp is, quote, In attempting to defend their client's blatant infringement, Barlow and Bear's attorneys have now taken the position that they somehow do not need a license because Netflix did not file this lawsuit sooner. That is not how copyright law works.
0: Let me confirm that is not how (laughs) copyright
2: law works at all. The fact that they included that in the complaint, just that's not how copyright, (laughs) it's not how that works. So Netflix basically alleges that Barlow and Bear repeatedly assured Netflix since 2021 that there would be no stage performances of the musical beyond a charity production that Netflix said it didn't approve, but that it would not get in the way of.
0: And that makes sense. Like, you know, having dealt with things like this in the past, if it's not being done for profit and it's only being done once, then sure, a company like Netflix might go, okay, no harm, no foul on this one. But again, not a sign for the future.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. And apparently, Barlow and Bear were allegedly super open about that charity production, keeping Netflix updated on the production schedule and the delays. But they didn't tell Netflix about the Kennedy Center performance until a month beforehand. What? (laughs) Yeah. And that seems to be what the complaint is largely revolving around, which is that any live ticketed non-charity production of the unofficial musical directly competes with the live Bridgerton experience offered by Netflix, which is basically like going in medieval times, but make it Regency and you also get to wear (laughs) like a beautiful gown. Ooh, (laughs) Yeah, it, it seems super fun from what I've seen and it's been happening in multiple cities, including D.C., The same night that Barlow and Bear were staging their unofficial (laughs) musical. That is
0: wild. And I mean, Mm -hmm. okay, I didn't watch Bridgerton, so I haven't gone. But boy, did I get targeted ads about this, like, Bridgerton experience in D.C. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way they couldn't have known that that Mm -hmm. part was happening.
2: And apparently before, Netflix had also offered Barlow and Bear a license that would make this live performance at the Kennedy Center and an upcoming performance at the Royal Albert Hall in London completely legal. And Barlow and Bear were like, no thank you. We don't (laughs) want it. (laughs) So it's not entirely clear what's going to happen next. Netflix is asking for both damages and an injunction against Barlow and Bear, which means that they cannot stage anything else. And theoretically, the two parties could settle out of court. This could also go to trial. It's really too soon to tell but we will keep y'all updated because i love a court case (laughs) (laughs) but speaking of things that started on the internet before jumping to a completely different medium we have an interview coming up with dean fleischer camp who is the director of the new film marcel the shell with shoes on Marcel the Shell began way back in 2010 as a series of online videos that were created and written by Dean and Jenny Slate, who voices the titular Marcel.
0: I remember loving those little videos. They're so cute. Like, I mean, the character's really cute, but they're just very simple in what the idea is. They're so fun.
2: They are. And that really carries through the movie, which is incredibly sweet. And this really lovely meditation on community and grief, which is not what I expected when I saw this was going to be made into a movie. <laughs> yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> but it does mean that I'm super excited to be back with Dean after a short break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Shopify.
2: Hey, y'all, if you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast. But most importantly, you will be supporting ICYMI. This show would not be possible without Slate Plus subscribers. Y'all really help keep this show going. With the Slate Plus subscription, you also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, and Bid Moon, Little Moon. You also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and advice column on Slate, and you will never, ever, ever hit the paywall. Just visit Slate.com slash I-C-Y-M-I Plus to sign up. That is Slate.com slash I-C-Y-M-I Plus. And we are back with Dean fleischer Camp, the director, co-writer, and co-creator of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I'm so excited to have the creator of one of the most iconic pieces of internet culture on the show. Thanks for coming.
3: Thank you for having me, Rachel.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, Marcel the Shell is one of those, like, instantly recognizable pieces of internet culture. But I do have to say, I was a little skeptical initially when I heard y'all were turning these shorts into a feature-length film, and obviously you did a great job. I cried.
3: <laughs> but, sure. Me too. I was skeptical.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my first question is, how did you go about maintaining the tone of the original videos, which is, like, very sweet and charming in the film without it becoming, like, saccharine?
3: Yeah, I think that it's so helpful to have a short, you know, or a series of shorts that uh, I created before we started trying to make a feature so that you kind of have a tuning fork that you know works. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of moments where, especially at the beginning when I I and Jenny and our co-writer, Nick Paley, like we hadn't, we hadn't quite figured out all the specific rules of Marcel's world yet, but we could always turn back to those shorts and be like, okay, well, you know, this feels like it works and this feels like it doesn't. And so that was super helpful. But I think I was also from the very beginning interested in maintaining that style. Like there's a real sort of what you're saying. There's a real danger when you have a bigger budget or when you're expanding a thing like you can sand down what made it unique to begin with. And so I was I was very just aware of how that can happen and tried as much as possible to create a production model that was as close to making those shorts as it could be while still telling this much larger story and working with like a team of five hundred instead of just me in my apartment.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big uh, scaling up of the production.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally.
2: Um, I mean, so it's been almost twelve years since the first Marcel the Shell. When in the past twelve years did you know you wanted to expand on Marcel's journey besides like those three original shorts?
3: It was pretty immediate. Like I was uh, when I made that short, I was editing like just taking whatever editing gigs came my way for a living and I was trying to transition into being a director uh, writer director and so it was immediately the thing that I was like well you know this is seems like it, there's an audience for this maybe I can make a feature maybe we can make a feature so that part was pretty immediate but then you know we tried to go about that the more traditional way of like meeting with the studios and because this was popular on the internet we could get those meetings but when something's viral and it's three minutes long, you might get those meetings, but they don't really trust you as an actual creator. So it was probably three or four years before we finally, it was kind of like the character never went away, even though we weren't putting out shorts or anything. Jenny and I were just like adding to his world and adding jokes and quirks of his personality for three or four years until finally we were like, you know, there's actually enough here and we have some sort of vague semblance of an idea for a story. And uh, so we called Liz home, who is a friend of ours, but uh, had produced Obvious Child uh, with Jenny and just said, like, you want to join our weird ship? We're going to try to figure out how to, how to finance this independently. And she had a lot of experience doing that on other films. And so we partnered with her and we started pounding the pavement looking for partners.
2: You mentioned a really... I think, salient point, which is that Marcel, the show came out at a time where internet virality, the path from that to making money or to making like a long-term thing didn't quite exist. Whereas right now we have people like Quinta Brunson, who we mentioned a lot on the show, who went from being like kind of Instagram famous to now having like an Emmy-nominated sitcom. Um, So it is the, the journey there of the way people didn't trust I don't know if i'd say call y'all influencers yeah. but like the kind of creator economy <laughs> like that's really interesting
3: yeah it was hard i mean i don't think there was like an established way to make money off of a viral video back then maybe there still isn't I, i'm probably pretty out of touch with how creators who were where i was 12 years ago were doing that but now it does seem like there's much more of sort of a beaten path mm-hmm. where it from you know people have developed things from the internet into tv shows successfully so it seems a little more reasonable or it has precedent. Whereas I think when we were taking this character around, they were like, well, it's a, the internet and, and mainstream entertainment existed totally yeah. separately. And it was just like, How could we ever make a TV show? It's a three-minute video. Yeah,
2: it's really interesting because it's like even a few years after y'all, you have Issa Rae who
3: started with Awkward Mm -hmm. Black
2: Girl and then became Insecure. Like even just a few years after Marcel came out, like that path was more well-trod.
3: Yeah, we were... I remember a moment which seems so insane now. I submitted Marcel to film festivals and it didn't get into most places, but I got emails from almost all the places that rejected it, saying, like, we love this short and this character, but we have a policy against anything that's screened on the Internet. We won't program it in a film festival. It's been on the Internet. Sundance and AFI Fest are two of the only festivals that programmed it, and I'm so grateful to them now, like, because that was... Not something that was being done. And now if you look at film festivals, it's like, well, everything.
2: Yeah. Wow. That really, I mean, the past 12 years, I mean, that kind of goes to my next question, which is like the internet has changed a lot in the past 12 years and you incorporate a lot of those newer elements in like TikTok and even the way YouTube has changed. And I'm curious as to what was most important to you to get right about the difference between the way the internet felt in 2010 and the way it feels now.
3: Yeah. A lot of my, um, the challenges for me as a director was trying to, at every point, try to engineer constraints and almost like mistakes to keep the documentary authenticity of the project intact. And the internet was one of those things where it was like, we put a ton of time into trying to figure out, you know, yeah, it's like 10 years later, like how do things, how do things go viral now that's different from how they would go viral then? And to me, it, feel, it feels like it's much more kind of piecemeal now. Like, I don't think that Marcel would necessarily go viral if it came out now. And I definitely don't think that, I definitely think that even if it did, it wouldn't have led to all those people watching a full three minute short. It would get chopped and screwed and pieced out into GIFs or remixes, or it would, you know, if you even started on YouTube, it maybe find success on TikTok. And back then there was like two video sharing platforms and people, if something went viral, you all were directed to like the exact same link yeah. and watched the exact same thing. <laughs> and um, I think that that really prioritizes or benefits the filmmaker mm-hmm. and not the platform as much. And now I think with it being so fractured, it really just benefits the platforms. Like your favorite meme or your favorite video clip or whatever, you might not even be able to track down who made that.
2: So, I mean, you've said a few times you've been working on this feature length version for a while, and I read in an interview that you said you essentially made this four different times, which is, like, a lot of work. How did the way you kind of incorporated the internet into the movie change as the years went by, since, like, the internet moves pretty quickly? Like, I know there's, like, Mm -hmm. live streaming elements of it. Um, There's what seems like kind of a TikTok dance challenge um, at some point. Yeah, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think it was about having enough specificity so that you could kind of watch it in any era and not feel like it it really has a stake in any particular like month of any particular year. And so I think yeah, we included those, but like, you know, the, the like the live streaming streaming platform we sort of made up our on mm-hmm. our own and the we tried to keep it so that you're not really thinking about anything too topical. Both in the story and in the way that the internet is depicted, because it was just like, <laughs> when you're making a stop motion animated movie, you have, even if you want to, there's no chance that you can make something topical. Yeah. You have to, you have to always write from a place of being like, okay, well, what is personal and emotional and therefore specific? And if you make it specific enough, you hope it will also be universal, mm. but not topical.
2: The aftermath of internet virality is, I would say, one of the, I think, most well-done elements of the film. And I'm curious as to whether any of that was taken from your experience going viral with the original Marcel the Shell video.
3: Yeah, for sure. It was directly inspired by that. I think that when something goes that sort of massively, becomes that massively popular or something, it does reduce or dilute what is special about it. Mm I don't exactly understand like why that is, but so it felt like, oh, wow, this is, at first it felt like, oh, awesome. Like people are actually like resonating with this character and they're sharing it and that's so cool. We have such a big audience. And then very quickly you realize, oh wait, they don't see in this character necessarily what I see in this character, Mm -hmm. what I like about it. And what becomes the headline is like, look at this cute little shell.
2: One of my favorite lines from this movie is Marcel says, and sorry if I get this wrong, but he says, this isn't a community, it's an audience. And I think that's a really smart distillation of a lot of the dynamics that we see online. But I'm curious to see what you think the difference is between a community and an audience.
3: Well, I think it's what's depicted in the film, Um, but an audience is using you not using you. It's a it's a transactional agreement that the performer performs and the audience uh, you know, gets um, entertainment from it. And there, it's an important line to draw because I think that with social media, we all have to decide how much of it we want to treat as if it's a real person in our life or a real friend or someone that cares about us. I think the main distinction is an audience doesn't really care about what you do after you get off stage. They don't care if you're mm-hmm being your mental health is sound, or if you're sad or whatever, they're there for entertainment. And that's not to say that there aren't really great, verdant communities that sprout up online, primarily. Like, I think probably half of my close friends I met because we were fans of each other on Twitter or something. But I do think that it's an important distinction that we draw, especially since social media companies sort of incentivize you to live your life more online than anywhere else. Yeah,
2: yeah. And given the past, like, two years... (laughs)
3: Yeah. 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 Totally. And you can, you know, like you get, there's a complexity to the exchange in a real relationship that you don't get from an audience performer relationship.
2: Yeah. What's, I guess, one thing you want people to take away from this movie about the way we interact online.
3: You hear people say this all the time and it always rings a little bit false to me because it seems to ignore the nuance of our differences or something. But I hope that people are more empathetic walking out of it. I think that movies are primarily like empathy machines where, you know, you sit in a dark room and pretend you're someone else for two hours. I hope people walk out of it with a change, a change of pace just in uh, at least for however long that lasts or is useful to them because the internet, you know, is constantly beating that drum of like faster, faster, faster. Yes, 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 it is very much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, speaking of faster and endless replication, what's next for Marcel?
3: Mm. Well, Jenny and I are, you know, excited about you know how it's doing and how it's especially like reaching new audiences that weren't aware of the short is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's next, but I think we're I think we're gonna I hope we continue to tell his story and in the same kind of thoughtful, patient way that we have been or that we did with this film.
2: So in another seven years, it'll be Marcel too.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk to him in twenty twenty nine. <laughs> <Pretty cool. laughs>
2: Okay, cool. Great. I will put it on my calendar. I don't know what I'll be doing in 2029, but I will be there. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. This was really great. And thank you for making an incredible
3: film. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so nice. Oh, um, Thank you for having me. This is such a fun chat.
0: Ooh, fun, Rachel. Did you enjoy talking to Dean? <laughs>
2: I did. He was great. He was super game to talk about TikTok, which I really loved. Um, we got to talk about our fave Quinta Brunson, which is always an amazing moment on the show.
0: A true queen. I just think it's this great reminder of how much creators online were just fully not embraced for the longest mm-hmm. time. And like some are still not, but boy, has the business around a lot of it changed.
2: And I can't wait to see what else comes out of that pathway.
0: Yes. Who will be the next great creator? Who will be the next Marcel
2: the shell with shoes on whoever it may be you'll probably find out about them on this show Alright, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a high-speed download. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Tell your one-inch shells about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, what is pink sauce? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader
0: and Rachel Hampton. Our senior supervising producer is me, Daisy Rosario. Always awkward when that happens. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online.
2: Or at the Kennedy Center. Incoherent screeching, as my roommate can attest. <laughs>
0: we'll be right out. We had a walk in.
2: Yeah. <laughs>